Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about a new partner, Arostia, a new coffee roaster based in Queens. This company was created by and is run by a huge fish fan, Andy Hollander, who hasn't caught a hold your head up since 12, 15, 95, but is definitely not bitter about it. I've had this coffee and it's really great. Andy started roasting coffee during the pandemic, taught himself, and then that turned into this label, Arostia, which launched late last year. I had a bag of the Ethiopian coffee and it was gone really quickly because I liked it so much and I drank a lot of it and I need more. The beans were grown at an altitude of 2,100 meters above sea level, which contributes to a dense bean that continues to develop its flavors after the roasting process is done. The tasting notes include apple, raisin, and caramel, and there are more coffees coming very soon. So support this fan-owned business and try the coffee today. And for Osiris listeners, there's a 10% discount code on the site. Use the code OSIRIS at checkout for 10% off your order, and stay tuned for the launch of a coffee subscription. You can order and sign up for the mailing list at arostia.com. That's A-R-O-A-S-T-I-A.com. And you can find Arostia on Instagram and Facebook. Thanks, Arostia. Hey, listeners. I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out MagicalMysteryCamp.com slash HelpingFriendly to learn more. Osiris. And we are live once again, second time this week, Wednesday, May 11th, 
Megan, how are you doing here today? I'm great. It's so good to see great. you. Did you get a haircut? I got a haircut. I like it. It Thank looks you. so good. You're welcome. I got a, I'll tell you a quick story. I got a really bad haircut last summer. Like the worst I've ever had in my entire life. And I was just like, <laughs> I don't even know what to do. I was going to like just shave my head. And I just, I have a lucky hat. I just threw the hat on and I was like, <laughs> that's it. That's it. Months go by. I'm editing podcasts. I'm not even thinking about my hair. And I finally was just like, I had a good barber in my last town. And my wife got her hair cut, I don't know, three or four months ago, something like that. Maybe more recently. Time is a flat circle. And the woman who cut her hair was like, hey, I actually prefer to cut men's hair, which probably isn't the type of thing you should say. Yeah. <laughs> While you're hair. cutting a woman's hair. <laughs> but, <laughs> but my wife was like, hey, look, you should call this person up. And so more time goes by. And I'm like, maybe I'll just grow back out and then donate it because I've done that a couple of times. And then I just got to a point like two weeks ago where I was like, I'm done with this. I'm sick and tired of this. And it all peaked with I, I was interviewing, not to name drop so early on the podcast. But I, I was mean, interviewing, I mean, I was interviewing Joel Clemens. And he commented on how he had just gotten a haircut. He was looking <laughs> great. And I was like, I'm about to get a haircut. He was like, yeah, you probably should. You've got this like 1991 Jerry Seinfeld thing going. And I was like, that is not how I saw it. But apparently, so listeners out there can can vote if uh, if I had a 1991 Jerry Seinfeld thing going. But I figured, you know, now I don't have to wear a hat every day, which is nice. I can look like a proper adult. So, Well, it looks good. And, you, you know, I shaved my head once too, Brian. Did you? Yes. That's how I got rid of my dreadlocks. Uh, that's of course that's how it works. Yeah, I mean, I tried to cut them out. Actually, my friend like kind of brushed it a little bit and cut them, but then I had this like very not good. I thought I could do like Winona Ryder a la Reality Bites, mm -hmm. but it ended up not looking like that at all. So then I just shaved it. <laughs> um, my parents were horrified, but um, it was kind of a cool look. I was nineteen. That's a good age to do something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. It's very like liberating. Yeah. I totally bicked my head when I was traveling around Southeast Asia and it was just, it was perfect. Like I was, it was very hot out. I was training for a marathon while traveling around the world. And it was just like, I just couldn't deal with hair at that point in time. And there's a great picture that my wife took of me on the streets of Hanoi with a guy just like shaving my head with a razor, like with just like a straight edge that's awesome it was like a 30 cent haircut but it was uh i didn't get I, i'm fine as a result you know afterwards but i was i was a little bit terrified of like the quality of the knife that he was using but it was literally like on the side of the street he had like a barber chair set up and i was just like i can't pass this up i kind of just need like a cleanup so why don't i just do this and unforgettable right what an unforgettable moment totally it's a great picture as well and that's why we do all these things is all just for the pictures aren't they yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so we are the Helping Friendly Podcast, and uh, it is Wednesday, May 11th, and we are here hanging out. We are bringing on a fantastic guest, a returning guest, a thrice, four times, five times, six times. I don't know how many times he's been on the podcast, but so many times we've lost track. Um, Mr. Ryan Storm. And I say, I really emphasize Mr. Ryan Storm here. Okay. 
we get a lot of young Ryan around here, but Ryan is wise beyond his years. Okay. Oh, we all definitely. Know we're going to talk today about, we're going to continue a conversation that we had back in, I think it was February. All the way back yeah. in February, we started this conversation where we looked back at 2012 Fish, a transformative, really important year in the band's history. Um, in that episode, we tracked the Worcester, Bonnaroo, Bader, Portsmouth, Cincinnati, Burgettstown, and Blossom shows. So 6-7 through 6-24. In this show, we are going to cover 628 through 78, which is Deer Creek, Alpine, Jones Beach, and SPAC. Four multi-night runs where the band, I think it's pretty safe to say, like, I love that early part of June 2012, but like, this is where improvisation really starts to trickle in. Like the, there's some great bust outs we're going to talk about, but like the song surprise song selections stop being like the real focus of some of these shows there's a lot of flow here i don't know i'm really excited to dive in this was a ton of fun to listen to what do you think it was so much fun to listen to i don't go back and listen to a lot of 2012 it was a time that i was just kind of disconnected from the band i was living abroad i had really young kids so to go back in isolation and listen to this it's just it was really great and it's interesting to see them kind of start to stretch out and put some more breath and space into some of these songs. You definitely hear that. And you definitely hear that throughout a number of these sets and a number of these jams that we're going to talk into. And we have a lot to discuss. So I think that we should probably jump into it. What do you say? Yeah, we should probably stop talking about haircuts. We should probably. I, I recommend uh, Salon Heathers in Arvada, though. Just if, you, if you're looking for a haircut and you, and you live in the Northwest Denver suburbs. Um, tell them that Brian sent you. Um, we do have just two bits of business that we need to get out of the way here for all of you. We would encourage everyone to subscribe to Osiris Media on Apple for HF Pod Premium, as well as another number of other premium offerings from Osiris Media. Um, we will not be releasing a bonus episode this week. I just want to be. Uh, open and clear to listeners about that. We will be following up next week with an excellent bonus topic. Um, RJB will be back in the office to help us record that. Um, but please subscribe to Osiris Media and Apple Podcasts. It's a great way to support what we do. You get a lot of podcasts, including Undermine the day before it's publicly released, as well as you get ad-free content and bonus material. It's great, great stuff. Plus, what a great way to support independent podcasts. Um, we also want to tell you about Sunset Lake CBD, who have a line of smokable hemp products that are for the old deadhead. I don't think we have an old deadhead around at this point in time. No, Jonathan Hart is hanging out at home. Um, or the young fish fan like Mr. Ryan Storm. All of which, from one age spectrum to the other, are searching for a mellow body high. Smoking CBD has all the benefits of high THC cannabis without the paranoia or the anxious side effects. Nine different strains from this year's harvest. There's something for everyone. You've got Hawaiian Haze. It's awesome for an outdoor show. Lots of outdoor shows coming up. I just saw my first outdoor show of the year last week at Red Rocks, which was fantastic. Oh, Had yeah, some Hawaiian Haze. At some point. We need to dive deep on that. Waxahachi, man. Just unbelievable. What'd you think? Oh, my God. oh, oh. Amazing, right? She covered Dolly Parton, Lucinda Williams, and the Judds. 
and and then played like the majority of saint cloud plus a few older songs it was it was everything that i'd wanted uh i i loved loved saint cloud that was like one of the only mm-hmm. records i could listen to in spring 2020 and um uh, so i had some hawaiian haze there which is perfect i was hanging out perfect. with some people i was like hey you should try this you're not going to get too crazy it's going to be like the perfect mellow buzz for you at this concert people you know what they said to me do you know what they said to me what they said I didn't get too crazy. That was the perfect mellow buzz at a concert. And I was like, exactly. That's how I told, I told you. <laughs> <laughs> Cherry Abacus is also excellent for the end of the night. You know, after the concert, we had a little bit more. We had some Cherry Abacus. And I said, hey, 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 this is the best kind of buzz that you need for the end of the night. And you know what? We passed around. You know what they said? It was. Was it the best buzz for the end of the night? They said, this is the best buzz for the end of the night. <laughs> All the flower from Sunset Lake is grown, cured, and trimmed by Sunset Lake CBD farmers. Even better, their farm-to-table approach gets you great pricing on premium CBD flower by shipping directly from their farm to your door. I've said enough personally about Sunset Lake. I love it. I encourage all of you to check them out at sunsetlakecbd.com. Use coupon code HFPOD for 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer-owned, Vermont grown. And with that to bring on mr ryan storm and before i do that the last thing last thing i say i promise last thing i say please 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 if you're watching if you're hanging with us share your favorite jams shows and sets from the final segment of the first leg of summer tour this is june 28th 2012 to july 8th 2012 we'll give you some shout outs we're going to talk about all these shows and dive deep onto it with ryan storm how are Hello. you, my man? I'm fantastic. Really happy to be back. Thank you so much for having me on again. Very excited. I will say sitting backstage throughout that whole conversation was like <laughs> agonizing because I had so much I wanted to say. Brian, I think <laughs> Sunset Lake should be paying you and Bruce Robinson like so much extra based on how uh, how well you pitch their <laughs> product. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The, the thing is, they provide excellent products that we can sell excellent product. I, I feel like the, this is all leading towards Bruce Robinson and I doing an ad read for Sunset Lake together. So Bruce, <laughs> if you're hanging out, listening, <laughs> watching, let's uh, let's get together. The, the people will also uh, on the haircut topic. Um, I do need a haircut, and I will be getting a haircut in the next few days. So you do you do wear you that drive to Colorado to get it? I know. I, I was going to say if Brian wants to buy me a flight out to denver and back um i would love to try his uh new barber we'll see if we can get uh salon heathers to um join in on the sponsorship and, and get you out here for a haircut it's worth it it's worth it i feel good we could document the whole feel... thing it's so fun <laughs> <laughs> all right enough about me let's talk about fish. nice to be <laughs> ryan can you defend the fact that you have said 2012 fish is tepid no i'm just kidding we're not going to get started on the wrong foot here we are going to talk as a group about the final leg of the first leg of summer tour i don't mean to confuse you all but we're going to talk segment about the first leg the final seg maybe seg i know leg. that there's thrice tucking in this leg of the tour but we're going to start here with 
June 28th, 2012 from, I'm not going to call it by the official name of the, the, the music center that they identify this place as now. No, even on Fishnet, or or the music center that it was called in 2012. It's Deer Creek. This is Deer Creek from Noblesville, Indiana. Um, Megan, you have definitely seen more Deer Creek shows, both Dead and Fish, than either one of us. I've only seen two. Ryan, I don't know if you've seen any. I've never been there. Uh. Megan, I think I could say something about this venue, but I want to give you the floor. What does Deer Creek mean to you? Deer Creek is one of the first outdoor sheds that I ever saw fish in, and it actually is the first. And as a Midwesterner, it's, you know, I haven't been back in a few years, so I don't know what it's like now, but it is at least in the mid nineties, it was the quintessential Midwestern outdoor shed. It was in the middle of nowhere. There's cornfields everywhere. And it was a place that you had to camp at when you went. And so it just had such a vibe of you kind of, we set up a whole town and it's like everybody just kind of moved in and it became kind of a community in a way that a lot of other venues aren't. So that to me is kind of something I still hold on to, even though I've heard that it's much different now, but I know it still has that feeling of historical reference. I saw some really incredible dead shows there that were just historic and life-changing, honestly. And so for me, this venue is just a magic place. And I feel like Fish and the dad both play there with um, a focus and an intensity that you don't always find at other venues. Yeah, I think that my my lone experience going there in 2010 can speak to that in a lot of cases. I think the thing that blew me away about it is, and we're going to talk about the next venue that they go to, which is like a very classic Midwestern uh, route. And this was the last time they've done this route. They haven't done the Deer Creek Alpine route since 2012, which is kind of a minor tragedy they need to do it again they're getting close to it this this summer but it's not it's not really going to be it but alpine valley to me like there's such a mystique about it because like it's literally looks like it's a part of the mountain and i was blown away that deer creek just looks like a shed in the middle of like flat cornfield america but there's magic there that you can't really put. I mean, you you did an excellent job of of explaining it there, but like you almost can't put your finger on it. It's just like the band walks out on stage, the crowd reacts, the way the sun hits like the the the, the venue at sunset, how hot it always is every time you see a show there. Like all these things combine to create just a vibe at that venue that the structure itself is almost not even deserving of, but like it it somehow makes it better because like the normalcy of it should overwhelm and dominate what actually ends up happening at Deer Creek. So fish took four days off between blossom six twenty four a Sunday night to this Thursday night show here on six twenty eight. your first show. So we ended our first segment back in February with Ryan's first show. And here we are four days later. Um, I, to bring in personal stories, I flew home the morning of June 28th, 2012 from Portland, Oregon, because I was having my bachelor party. My bachelor party was, I was going to a Cubs game and unbeknownst to me, I was going to end up on 
television multiple times because one of my best friends was going to catch uh, Cubs catcher's first home run. And we were all wearing (laughs) red union suits in the outfield. And so they talked about us, Len Casper and Bob Brandley, for like 25 minutes. And my dad filmed it all and has it on YouTube. We got to go on the field. And then we went up to Alpine Valley and we saw the fish shows that followed this. But as many of you are the same, I'm guessing. I'm at my own bachelor party. My friends are all hanging out. And I have my headphones in listening to the stream of the deer Creek show. And they're like, why don't you just take your headphones out? I'm like, it's it's fish and summer tour has been absolutely amazing. So this show happens on a Thursday night. We are going to go through this show by show, but we're going to go a little bit more thematically than we did the last time, because we want to make sure we're able to give you as much uh, important information as possible here. Um, Meg, starting with set one, what are your thoughts on this first set here of the show? Well, any set when they play the curtain with, I'm going to be on board for. But looking at this set, you just kind of realize, I mean, the Bird Watcher, which is such a cool opener. I mean, how amazing would that bust out be right now? The curtain with Fuck Your Face, the old home place, it's just a very starts off even I mean, even just reading this set list is kind of intense. You're like, there's just really not a flow to it in a way that we, I think now as kind of early 4.0 fans, we are completely spoiled at the band's ability to create and compose a a set and a show that has a real ebb and flow to it with like these perfect peaks and valleys. And they're still able to like incorporate bust outs and long jams, but everything seems really organic. It's something that, you know, Trey has just become an absolute expert at. Um, And this is that time when they're not, you know, that grab bag feel is really more pertinent and they're really just working on building up their, their um, catalog again, but you can really feel it in the first set. I think the second set's much different, but the first set, that's what it really felt like to me. Yeah, I agree. And we should note the biggest bust out here is uh, this old, the old home place, which um, was played for the first time since December 5th, 2009, 103 shows. This is like, I think we'll get it more when we get to Jones Beach and the first night of SPAC. But this this set, in a sense, feels like the pinnacle of the first set approach in 2012 to me, mm-hmm. in the sense of like, it's a grab bag feel. You're getting a bunch of rarities, bird watcher, curtain with in a random spot, uh, cool it down, fuck your face, old home place. Like you're getting all these songs just kind of like, you know, splattered throughout and like, okay, we're going to play this here. We're going to play this here. In a lot of other moments in 3.0, this set would be, and we're going to talk about one of these shows here in a couple of shows. Uh, It's not really what I want to hear. It's, it's just, it's too recital approach. Like this is rare enough songs and grab bag enough that I actually really like this first set. I find it to be just really entertaining. Um, second set though, you said flows much, much better. Tell me what your thoughts are here on set two. I think there are some really strong songs in the set, some really, really good moments. I mean, the mics is so powerful and authoritative. And then you have this gorgeous, gorgeous McCrupp. There's like amazing piano by Paige. 
And then it kind of devolves into back on the train, which is just a really, really cool. I mean, this is an unbelievable mic's groove when you've got this many songs in the middle of it. And it actually like really works. I think it's a really, really special bike because Fishman obviously doesn't know what he's going to sing. And they just call him up there and he seems kind of like, the fuck am I doing up here? I think he actually says something like that. And <laughs> just to have that moment is just so great because you know they're just totally messing with him. And I love that mic. This whole mic screw is just super awesome. And and then I think they end with like, I also love how they're all like laughing and having so much fun when um I think Fishman says something like, I think we're a better band this way when he's trying to play the guitar and Trey is on the drum kit. It's just, it's so funny. It's like these weird dissonant sounds it's great and then it ends in this like beautiful caspian great waves beautiful jam that ends in bug this is one of those things where like the grab bag kind of feel almost works really well and i think this second set's awesome it's well played yeah you know it's interesting because this this kind of picks up the narrative from set one but also and i'm on the exact same page with you here which makes for very boring podcasting but i'll just i'll i'll, I'll compliment what you said like this to me is we were talking about this set as we were planning for the show and we were all listening to it like on paper this looks like it doesn't work at all and somehow it completely works and you listen to it and it just flows and the songs are very random but they're like random enough to kind of percolate your ears but not really to throw you off in in a way i don't know if that totally makes sense like sometimes like the band yeah. will pick like you know what i mean like they'll pick sometimes like the perfect song to play afterwards in this case i don't necessarily think any of these choices are perfect they're just like the they're, they're the right pick for that moment and it somehow works like it's not yeah. like this is a set list like you know unveiled from the heavens of hey this is how everyone would dream of a second set going it looks on paper like it could be really herky-jerky, but you listen to it and everything moves into each other. And it's because, like you said, McGrupp kind of devolves into this soundscape. Back mm -hmm. on the Train devolves into um, uh, Hold Your Head Up. We could probably Groove has that same sort of moment into Prince Caspian. Waves has this beautiful jam that then fades into Bug. And then you get the Bowie uh, uh, set closer. It just works in a way that... It reminds me almost of um, 615 2012 from Bethel, which we talked about mm -hmm. as well in, in our last episode. Uh, it reminds me of Cincinnati in some cases, 622, and a couple other sets that we're going to talk about here as, as the show goes on. But to me, this is one of the best concerts of the mm -hmm. June 20, June, July 2012 run because it thematically feels in line with so much of what the band seemed to be trying to do throughout mm -hmm. 2012, um, be it play a bunch of random songs, give people a, a very expanded uh, song catalog while also showcasing jams in a way that felt very forward thinking for the time. Yeah. I think it's kind of like one of those things where these sets work only when the playing is really, really organic and they're listening to each other and the improv is really great. I think otherwise they tend to be clunky and yeah. don't have any flow, but this, this is a really good example the second set, especially of when it actually really works because they're playing great music. Well, and that's a really important thematic idea that like, as 
as we move through this year, and we're going to cover the remainder of this year through, I think, three more parts as we look at August, as we look at Dix, and as we look at um, MSG, that notion of it's it's going to start to not matter what songs they play because the improvisation is going to take over and is going to be the guiding force. And that's, what's going to bring us into 2013 fish. It's going to bring us into aspects of 2014, um, especially the early July uh, uh, run. It's going to bring us into 2015 and Magna ball. Like this is where you start to hear that turn where, and it's so fascinating to me that this is where it began with a, with a tour that they emphasized. We're going to break the songs by tour uh record that that's where they kind of rediscover improvisation and by the tour's end and this show kind of signifies it it doesn't matter what song we're playing because we're just anything is on the table from a jamming standpoint um before we transition here to 629 the second show of this run we're going to bring ryan back we've been having a few technical difficulties and we're going to give him a platform here to talk about this show ryan can you hear us yes can you hear me yeah, you're good. Hey. Fantastic. Okay, sorry about that. My computer doesn't like working sometimes. You're um, good. Just so, give us a give us a quick breakdown of this show. Yeah. So the first night at Deer Creek, you know, you guys mentioned earlier about um, you know this kind of first set happening in 2012, and you know you, you just mentioned when I got back on, you just mentioned about how the songs played become less important. It becomes more about the jams, and I think that really speaks to where we are with Fish in 2022 because realistically you know you're never going to see i I don't think we're ever going to see uh 12 to 15 song sets become the norm again i I don't think that's ever going to happen on on this leg there are a ton uh first and second sets that hit an incredible volume of songs because things are a lot shorter but i think just because of the song choices that the band is making now and the jamming choices that the band is making now you know they're not it would have to be a, a two hour plus set for them to even maybe get to that point. Um, and so, and so it's interesting to look at uh, things like this, but you know, this show um, is cool. You know, the first set, the only really standout moment to me was uh, the curtain with, uh, which is just a great version. I love the song. Um, and um, what's interesting to me is, you know, you get a tweezer in this show, which had been played the show previously at blossom. Um, and you know, fish isn't a band that generally plays songs in back-to-back shows. That's usually a rule. And it happens multiple times on this leg, you know, hold your head up, gets a, a back-to-back thing. Um, so it, it's interesting to look at the flip side of, you know, yeah, they're emphasizing, um, you know, playing as many songs as possible, but you also have these weird anomalies of songs that are getting played in back-to-back shows. Which I, I think is pretty cool to note. And in the second set, I mean, it, it's just really, really fun. After, you know, great back on the train jam, um, really good year for this song. Uh, kind of doesn't really get talked about uh, that much. But, you know, you get kind of that classic 2012 groove, which, I mean, I'll talk about later in the leg. I feel like it's starting to get a little bit stale for me. Um, and we'll see def- a definite shift uh, in jams uh, when they get into August. But right now, you know, these kind of 12 to 14 minute jams that kind of follow a very similar template um, do start to get a little bit stale. I think Megan mentioned earlier how spoiled we are uh, in the current era of fish with the the 
wide palette of improvisation that we get. Um, so, you know, I feel like 10 years ago, people weren't getting uh, bored with that kind of jamming because yeah. it was new and interesting. Um, but that that's definitely something that stuck out to me uh, listening to these shows. And last thing, um, I really like um, Paige's Moog Little Fatty solo uh, during Weekapog, which, mm. you know, starting with Trey on drums and Fish on guitars, always funny. Um, but I, I love that synth. Um, you know, he took it out of the rig after 2014 in favor of the Nord that he uses for samples. Um, but I'd love to see it uh, come back at some point, you know, in some capacity because that, that synthesizer has a really great sound, um, you know, similar to the Voyager that he used in 2017 and 18. Um, but yeah, no, I, I love the sound of that. Yeah. That stood out to me too. That was such a cool moment. And, and it's one of those things that like, I think to your point uh, on both sides there, Ryan, like there is a, like if you go back in time to 2012 and you listen to you listen to these shows in the moment, and I, I just remember it very clearly, these jams, while they were 12 to 14 minutes, they felt like a, there was an evolutionary next step happening. There was a lot more focus mm-hmm. on melody and there was a lot more experimentation with Paige from his keyboard standpoint, which would lead to things like the rock and roll that we'll talk about in a couple of weeks from Long Beach. Um the uh the number of chalk dust tortures from the from the uh august run um the 828 second set which i can't wait for us to dive into but we're two months away from it based on right now um the the dicks run like all these moments were like the these small sample size jams are going to expand in such a massive way um but i i agree with you like it, it's almost as though at this point in time they'd reached the limit of we can play a 12 minute long jam and nine other songs in this set and walk away feeling like we really like took this next step forward. And you're going to hear the songs start to con- get consolidated and the jams expand a little bit more. Um, let's move on to the next night, which um, kind of seems to, it's at least in the first set follows a very similar approach to what we've been seeing throughout the overall tour um, of note. There's one massive bust out in this show. It's the second version of sweet Jane, which was the first since Halloween 98, 352 shows earlier. Um, there's a bunch of like songs that are on the periphery of the rotation, like life on Mars, mango song, big black furry creature from Mars dinner, and movie, um, but Sweet Jane is the biggest bust out um, before we get into a second set that features a lot more fluidity, um, a lot of still micro jamming, but some really interesting kind of textures. Um, this show, to me, it's not as adventurous as the night before, and it doesn't feature as much like groundbreaking improvisation so i wonder if we can just talk about this as like a complete show here this second night but i'm curious do either one of you disagree with my assertion there about 629 2012 from deer creek no i mean i only had one real highlight and that's the down with disease into sand i mean this jam goes everywhere starts really really dark but then it ends really really uplifting and positive and Mm -hmm. ends right into a great sand so that was kind of my highlight from the show yeah, you know, very solid jam. I really like the way they uh, segued from uh, Sand to Twist. 
you know, the way they gradually modulated down uh, until they got to G, which uh, I thought was pretty cool. Um, you know, not, not a kind of segue that you see very often. Um, but yeah, I, otherwise I, I agree with both of you on this. It kind of aligns itself with the sand from six, eight, which goes sand in an LA cane. Um, just in the sense that like sand at this point in the, in the tour and in the year is really kind of focused on finding a groove and figuring out a way for like a quick modulation. And it usually leads into a segue at that point in time. We'll hear it again, not to reference it for a second time, but when we get to the uh, August uh, 28th show from St. Louis, it'll have a similar uh, jamming impact. And the thing that's so wild about it is that there's a version that we're going to talk about later this summer from Dix that is one of the most stunning takes on sand ever and combines this really moody, uh, patient jamming that when it modulates, it modulates within a jam and expands within a jam. And it's almost going to be taking the lessons of these types of earlier sands from the year where they're shorter, they emphasize a modulation and then a segue in a way that, um, uh, you just what you couldn't expect at this point in time. It kind of serves as a purpose of like when you see sand written on a set list right now, it's almost like a musical uh, carrot. That's, that's just like moving us forward at this point in time. But I agree with you guys, disease, sand twist are the highlights of this overall show. Although it is cool that, you know, the second set, you look at the fourth quarter and you've got a gin and a fluff head ride, captain ride yet another periphery uh, rotation song. Uh, into Run Like an Antelope, and then the encore, you've got Cavern, Sanity, and First Tube. So another theme of this this leg of the run is unique song pairings. Like, we're going to play a lot of songs, but when we play a lot of songs, they're going to be really cool songs that you that you get to hear, which, which I think is a, a strong approach for this point in time. Because if you look at 2011 set list, they did not contain as much kind of unique song pairings as you get here in 2012. I think that was a really smart way for them to stay super engaged and not feel like they were just becoming a novelty act. I think that's a really good point, especially like they hadn't written a new album since joy. Not a lot. Mm -hmm. of, like we don't really have any debuts in 2012. We have steam from 2011. That's still relatively new, but we're a year and a half away basically from wingsuit, which is the going to be the first new dump of songs. What better way to say we're still working at this and we're still chipping away, even though we're looking backwards in a lot of cases, than to say we're opening the floodgates, anything's on the table for this tour. And if we like playing a song in a slot, it, kind of doesn't matter we're just going to play it because we're having fun with the song catalog we're learning these songs again backstage like you almost have to imagine as this tour is going along there's a lot of playing at soundcheck there's a lot of playing in their downtime where they're like hey do you remember this song hey can we all play it and then they play it and they're like cool we're playing it tonight done and there's that like very loose approach. Totally. i would think there would have have to have been which is kind of exciting and also just shows a willingness of them to keep keep evolving even when that means kind of looking back in the catalog. Yeah. And it, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just. We're losing you again here, right? We'll, we'll, we'll pick this up. Um, one thing to, to this whole point that, we, that we're making about like, just how much fun this all is, is um, uh, 
I remember reading during this this period in time that this was the most fun that the band was having on stage uh, since the summer of 98 tour, which was that summer of covers mm. tour, yeah. which is such a fascinating tour. And if you think about like fish history between that tour and June 2012, it's a lot of darkness. And then like mm-hmm. a lot of like growing back to where they would would be by the end of the summer. And that sort of like it's 14 years in between this very idyllic, bright, fun summer where like all these cover songs are thrown in. I, I always get that vibe whenever I listen to this tour. It's It's got a lot of similarities to that. Yeah. And you can hear that on stage with their banter and with their playfulness. And I think that is definitely something they were working to get back to and kind of rebuild those bonds together too. And I think that really shows. Totally. Um, totally, totally agree. We're just in agreement on this, on this tour. Let's, let's just say we like these shows. We like these jams. Um, let's jump into June 30th here, the first night in Alpine Valley. Um, so Alpine Valley is a favorite venue for me. One of my favorite places to see. I've only ever seen fish. I've never seen another show there. It's kind of like Dick's Sporting Goods for me that like, I just don't think I can see another band at Alpine Valley. Yeah. It's, just, <laughs> it's just not going to happen. I, I should, I should say I saw Tab. So technically another band. Okay. Band. Well then you've um, really diversified there. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know my family's like, you see lots of bands, right? I'm like pretty much just fish adjacent bands, but no, it's not true. I see a lot of music, but yeah, it's like, no, I see Trey's other band. It's fine. I yeah. see all kinds of different music. All these different songs that they don't yeah. play. I get it. You know? Horns. Right. <laughs> um, so there was a stretch. Well, so I, the first time I saw a show at Alpine Valley was um, July 2001. And then I saw Fish in July 2003. I missed June 20, 2004 because I was – decided to spend the summer in the town I went to college in, which was a really good decision. And then I went to Coventry. Um, and then I saw them June, 2009, August, 2010. And then they come back in June, 2012, June, July, 2012. And I had to go see these shows. And this is, like I said, this was my bachelor party, which was the greatest. I got to go to a Cubs game and then I got to go to fish shows. Like nothing could be better for me. I mean, that's pretty solid. That's like, that's the combo right there. That's the weekend. Yeah. Um, so did you you saw all these shows, these Alpine? I shows? saw these two shows, yeah, mm-hmm. the the two Alpine shows, and um, I remember the, the weather was absolutely amazing. It was like mm-hmm. cool, just like late June, like idyllic, beautiful Midwestern nights. It was incredible. I mean, you you know, you're you're from Michigan, you know, like when it's perfect summer in the Midwest, like there's almost nothing uh. like it the best and this is a dream venue for me and i thought i was going to make it happen this summer but it's not in the cards i don't think but i this is definitely on my list i can't wait to go to alpine as a midwesterner it's almost like sacrilegious that i haven't been there almost sacrilegious i'll 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 get to deer creek but i i agree it's uh there you go so we both have those yeah um, we're going to bring Ryan Brack back for this conversation. I think that we're good here to go. He, he's just outside of Toronto and they were celebrating way too hard last night as a result of the Maple Leaf <laughs> winning. And so they didn't even win the series yet. And the internet is down up across Ontario. You okay? 
People get excited. Yeah, my computer uh, seemed to be overheating a little bit, um, but I think everything is fine now. I hope the feed is good. It was just the adapter was being weird and the mic was being weird, but I think we're good now. So you're you're all good. Move that mic back a little bit closer so we can hear you. But otherwise than that, we are good. You're great. Oh, is this on now? Yeah, now you're on. Oh, there we go. Okay. This is live TV, folks. We're making it work. Um, international television. I, international <laughs> television. <laughs> there we go. Um, all right. So Alpine Valley. We can talk quickly about night one because night two, I think, is where the magic's really at. But this night, mm-hmm. to me, um, I think the, the the beauty of this show is that it just it might it, it, it mixed up a lot of aspects of um, uh, the summer tour in a lot of like vignette type of type of ways in, in, in a way that like you had these kind of couplets of ideas throughout the overall set and overall the overall show rather than having like one unified idea. So you have this like cool opening segment that kind of peaks with let it loose and Reba. You have this high energy end to the first set. And then in the second set, you have these like Karini Wilson golden age rock or uh, 2001. And then this rock and roll steam Piper, and then this like triumphant ending. It's not like the greatest fish by by any means. It's just kind of like it's a fun fish show. Um, and and the second set does work as like a re-listen. But Ryan, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, you know, I I, I agree with you there. You know, I th- I think this show is definitely a step down uh, from the previous few. Um, and yeah. you know, I I think in most years of 3.0 um, until really fall 2021. Um, you know, you, if you have a run of really good shows, you can kind of expect that there's going to be a dud uh, somewhere yes. in the middle. You know, the band, you know, has been pushing themselves for a bunch of nights. And there's usually going to be, you know, kind of a lower uh, a lower tier show. You know, last summer, you know, you had like the first night in Nashville, the first night of Hershey weren't on the level of, you know, the shows around them. Obviously, Arkansas, but that was the first show tour. Um, but I think, you know, hopefully the trend of the previous tour continues where there really wasn't a show like that. Um, you know, getting a little off topic there, but, uh, you know, this show kind of acts as that lull. Um, I think, you know, it it was bound to happen, uh, during this, like, but yeah, there's still a couple of, uh, really interesting minutes of jamming and rock and roll, um, you know, more of that classic 2012 groove. Yeah. I like the golden age. I think it's, it's funky. It's got like a nice kind of rhythm groove to it and it ends in like a pretty good 2001. I like that. Also fun to hear like this stone song that they don't play very often and let it loose. But yeah. Mm-hmm. That's probably my, like the let it loose and rebar are probably my highlights of the show. And I remember like being there, being just thrilled. They were playing, let it loose. They'd played it twice before the, um, obviously the festival eight performance, but then at UIC the, the year before that, and then to get it here, it just, it added to, you know, I'd been following this tour from home uh, pretty extensively for the previous three weeks and kind of knew what I was getting into going to the show and knew like, Oh man, I'm going to hear some rare songs. I'm going to hear some cool jamming. Like this is going to be, it was the most consistent fish I was going to see 
for the first time in my entire you know fish going life at that point um because it had been either early 3.0 where it was really hit or miss or it had been 2.0 where you were just kind of going into the darkness with the band this was the first time where i was like i'm gonna get like a you know real fish vibe to these shows in, in kind of the classic way that like i'd grown up listening to fish and to get a to get those two songs back to back midway through the first set was just plus and, and i'm really gonna like out myself here but like a mid first set ocelot on a lawn just like oh so good oh, so good I, perfect summer it's, set like the sun is setting yeah oh, it's one of those oh. songs like jabu where like a breeze totally. inexplicably happens Completely. <laughs> you nailed it, Ryan. That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> Completely agree. It, it feels like a dead song that they would play in the middle of the first set. And it's just like, ah, mm-hmm. uh, I'm so into it. So this show, it's a fun show. It's kind of one of those shows that happen every so often on a tour where I'm going to use this word lightly. So nobody come and attack me, but it, it doesn't have a lot of meaning. It's, it's just like, it's a show. It's good. It has, it's just there. It's fun. I'm glad it happened. It's better than not a fish show, but the next night, seven, one, this is a show. This is a great show. That's an incendiary show. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very incendiary show. This show to me takes the things that we were talking about with night one of Deer Creek and also Bader Field and also a couple of shows we're going to talk about here still to come and just kind of like gives you this mashup grab bag first set full of rarities that nobody could have expected when they happened and this third quarter jamming segment that is still some of my most listened to jamming of shows that I've ever seen. Um, Megan, what were your thoughts on this show overall, starting with the first set? I mean, my highlight from the first set is definitely the fee. It's so, this jam is amazing. It's gorgeous. It's like sunny and then it's intimate and restrained and searching. And the way that it kind of arrives at melody is super organic. It doesn't sound like a first set jam to me at all. It sounds like it belongs in the second set. It's just, this is definitely one of my favorite jams of this section of the run. Also, when Paige brings out the guitar in first set, like, whoa, that's that's a big deal. Frankenstein to me is definitely like an end of the show vibe. I love it as an encore, but they're feeling it. Mm. They're feeling it. Well, and that was one thing I loved about this show. I mean, you get a soul shakedown opener and then you get Lonesome Cowboy Bill. It was the first time I'd seen that. And you get a Vultures and suddenly you're like three songs into the show and you're like, what the hell is going on? This is not at all what I expected. Like this like you, you, I remember feeling really disjointed and like the songs choices were just like throwing me off. Um, God of Jabu is kind of like the first normal song, but still like four songs into a show at this point. Uh, Dirt, it's a ballad, but it's like a kind of rare ballad. And like, it, it just, it adds to the vibe of the overall show at this point in time, a song I heard the ocean sing was incredibly rare access me like very, very rare to get two undermined songs back to back meet frankenstein like you said like what are we doing with the guitar middle of the first set and then this fee comes along and this fee happens right as the sun is going down which just adds to it and i am a sucker for a fee jam 7899 fee is one of my favorite jams of all time 
And this version, I remember turning to my brother and I was just like, is this as good as I think it is? Or is it just me? And he just like nodded along. It's one of those moments where you're like, it's the best, those moments. That's the best. I just got to check myself. Am I, am I over enjoying myself or is this like, is this really good? (laughs) And and they haven't jammed fee since, you know, I think there was one in like later 2012 or 2013 where the outro was a little bit extended, but there's been no meaningful improvisation out of this song in almost 10 years. And I think it's a really good point. It's about due. Sad point, but that's a good point. Let's put that it, on and, our list. And yeah, and, and this this fee jam is amazing. Yeah, add it to the wish list with Gumbo and Bowie, ACDC bag. <laughs> the list is a lot shorter than it was a few years ago, though. So it is a lot shorter than it was a few years ago. Um, I had a 20 minute Karini encore on my wish list for decades and finally had really, but uh, no, <laughs> I was told, never would have. I'm not, I'm not that crazy. I never would have expected that. Um, the fee as a sneaky segue into maze. It's not noted here in fish.net. And if anyone's listening from the fish.net community or committee set list committee, on I it. would just say, let's, we, we need a segue there. That is definitely like they're fading out and you start to hear fishmen come in with a symbol. And I remember just being like, okay, like we're in for it. Like now it's getting dark. Yeah. And now, it doesn't feel like the first may, set on, on the fee maze thing, you know, I've never really seen that as like a full arrow segue kind of thing. Um, because to me, a song fading into another, you know, is a like the, the half arrow, just like the fade, whatever it is. Because I don't know. It's just, it's never really fit the bill of, you know, a true full arrow segue where, you know, it's a jam that develops into the beginning of uh, the song That's fair. Where, as opposed to the intro of a song emerging out of a space out at the end of a jam. That's fair. I think that that's probably more accurate. I think the one thing that would encourage me to use the full arrow is that you get the callback in the maze, which gives you this sense of like there's connectivity between the two of them, but I, I can really go either way on this. You're absolutely right. This isn't like a fee is jamming and suddenly like we're in, we're in maze. Like you would get in like a, a full segue. Like we'll talk about here in the second set, but um, maze and then squirming coil. Kind of a thing. Maybe you need like an ellipses or something to like indicate that there was like emerged like from this squiggly space. line, like potentially. <laughs> I don't think, I think it's complicated enough already. We like it. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> so set two um you know being there for this show i have very vivid memories of like they come out for set two and i start thinking to myself like i've got to be on a plane tomorrow evening around this time to fly back to portland and i've got to go back to work and i've had such a great weekend and i'm really kind of sad and the band comes on, they play this third quarter that like makes me forget all of that almost immediately, but then plays a fourth quarter that we don't have to talk about, but just made me be like, oh man, I got to go. We're going to talk home. about the third because quarter. We're here to, we're here to talk here about the jam, the good stuff. So the third quarter reads cross-eyed and painless into no quarter into light and ghost into back on the train. That's how I would categorize this full third quarter. Um, this is i wouldn't say any of these jams are the best jams that we've yet heard in summer 2012 
but I would say that this jam segment is the best jam segment we've thus heard in 2012 to this point in time. There's going to be better, better to come. Better segue than that second set of Bader? Or be, not I think segue, that's better a better... Um, that's actually a good point. No, maybe this is one like making you choose between two kids, like you know. Yeah, no, no. This is well, no. This is these these are. um, We all have a favorite. Don't worry. These are these are kind of like abandoned kittens that like I'm trying to figure out if I want to actually bring them home. Like that's these are not children (laughs) jam segments. Okay, (laughs) these like analogy. I don't know if I. Well, I'm just trying to like what what is like the level down, you know, type of thing. Right. I, I would say this and Bader. Yeah, I think you're right. I'm gonna I'm gonna totally negate everything I just said. Live international television, folks. Um, this is on the same level as Bader, but I think it's these two segments that we've heard thus far are the strongest jamming that we've heard in the tour to this point in time. To me, it's all about the light that has the second half jam of a duel between Paige and Trey. And um, Ryan, I want to give you the floor here in a second to talk yes. about. Page's keyboards effect because it's just fascinating towards the end. And then this ghost that gets everything accomplished in nine minutes, everything accomplished, including some backbeat or breakbeat drumming from John Fishman that is totally out of the norm for fish and leads into this like very like just like laconic jamming from the band where like Trey's just like going back and forth and the lights are coming in and out. And that goes seamlessly somehow into get back on the train. But um, Ryan, tell me about what's happening in the back half of this light. Well, I mean, I just, this light is so cool. Like it's, it's this weird dissonant arpeggiator based jamming. Um, hang on one thought I was going to sneeze. Um, this really weird dissonant arpeggiator based jamming, which is really a departure from like the kind of major key or just like straight grooves of, you know, that's been, that have been dominating the jams of this tour so far. So it's really cool to hear something like this. And yeah, towards the end, Paige is really layering in that uh, Yamaha CS60 synth. Just so good. The way he uses it on uh, some of the jams on this leg and we'll hear, you know, later in the summer as well. That was like his big, big textural weapon um, at, at this time. You know, really, it really starts to dominate the jams when it's introduced in 97. Um, and, it beca- and it's still a major player um, at this time, you know, until he really starts to expand his uh, synth arsenal in 2017. So it, it's, a, it's a really big dominant part. And definitely, yeah, it adds a different vibe to the very piano and uh, Wurlitzer electric piano led jams that we've seen. Uh, you know, dominate the field. So up until 2017, this was his his one synth on his rig. Um, besides wow. the the little fatty that I mentioned earlier, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the little fatty doesn't work in the same way. The little fatty's uh, what's called a monophonic synthesizer. Um, so actually, you can watch uh, Paige's rig rundown video that is on YouTube is from this tour. Uh, oh, you're right. Yeah, so oh, they, cool. they did the they. Uh, he and Trey both did summer 2012 rig rundown. So he talks about it, uh, but the little fatty monophonic meaning it can only play one note at a time. So if you play mm-hmm. a chord on it, the only sound that will come out is whichever note you press first. Um, mm-hmm. So with the CS60, it's polyphonic, which means you can play, I think in his video, he mentions you can play up to 10 keys at the same time. But so that has the full chordal effect and these big sweeping synth swells 
good alliteration. Um, but it has a much stronger presence. Uh, and again, texturally, it has a much stronger presence than the more lead-based uh, fatty, which I don't think Paige ever really figured out the right situations to use the fatty in jams. You know, it, it pops up here and there. I know I really love it uh, during the 1229-13 Carini. Uh, sounds mm. great in there. But for the most part, his synth playing at this time was on the CS60. Got it. Got it. Thank you. That's helpful. Megan, what were your thoughts on this uh, this light and this ghost and this this second set here? I love this like kind of classic rock, like just throwback vibe. I think it's just super 70s sounding. And but then it also has this like really trippy psychedelic. I think like the no quarter is just like informs the rest of the jams in a really cool way to me. I kept hearing that kind of like dark undercurrent, like being pulled into like they would start in this like sweet jam and light but then you would just hear like this no quarter like undercurrent like coming up from the underneath and it was yeah. just like really kind of eerie and and I can't imagine what it was like being there I'm so glad you were Brian that must have been just so awesome and then I think this ghost has this like really trancey galloping vibe like I think you were mentioning like what Fisherman was doing with this like backbeat and it's really um, to me, I love when fish gets kind of like, almost sounds like electronic music. Sometimes it's like, it's amazing that they can make that kind of music and it can sound so rich and resonant. And I don't know how you end up in like a trancy ghost into a back on the train, but like somehow you do. I mean, that to me, like I saw that on the set list and I was like, what? And then it, it works so well. And then there's these still waiting cross-eyed and painless quotes and back on the train that just are so good. I loved it. The set's awesome. Yeah. It does something that like we'd heard in joke sets to this point where they reference past moments uh, and it, it works better than it works in a musical way here in a, in a way that you're just not used to. Like this is now combining like things that we've known about 3.0 fish with things that are still to come. Um, in that sense that like everything flows really naturally, you get callbacks, but we're not getting callbacks in a way that feels um, like there were a lot of still waiting sets at this point in time where the band would just consistently tell you that, hey, we played Crossside earlier this this set. Remember that? That was yeah. cool. We're just going to sing it uh, over this jam. This has that, but in a way that works and in, in, in a way that adds to the overall jam. So um yeah. Do we have anything else we want to say about this this show? I, I love this show. I still love it to mm -hmm. this day, but I want to give you guys the floor if you have 20 more minutes that you want to talk about it. If not, we can move on. Not quite 20. I just want to, you know, one last thing about the cross-eyed thing. You know, this was still, you mentioned like this kind of thing was still very much a novelty. You know, nowadays when they play cross-eyed, we pretty much know that they're going to come back to it again later mm -hmm. in the set. This was still when it was not, so much of a common occurrence and i mean this wouldn't be the last time they did this in 2012 but i think that cross-eyed uh you know return to the song the still waiting teases really starts to permeate the set lists uh in 2013 2014 um if memory serves so this was still a new and exciting thing um when it was happening so let's jump into the next night which is 7 3 2012 first night at jones beach this show kind of works similarly to what we were talking about with um deer creek 
as well as with this night here in Alpine Valley. This is one of my favorite shows of the run. Um, first set, you have what I believe to be the biggest bust out in fish history. I believe that this is it. Skin it back. 1,417 shows. When they busted out Boogie on Reggae Woman uh, on 1277, no right? it was like 889 shows, mm -hmm. something around there. And it was one of the biggest bust outs they'd ever done at that point in time. This is almost, almost, this is over 600 shows. More. What was the, what was the, the previous skin it back date? Uh, July. July 29th, 1988. That's insane. <laughs> yeah. 24 years prior. Imagine, imagine on record. July 29th, 1988, you know, they finish the show, they walk off stage and someone's like, the next time you're going to play that song, going to be in 24 <laughs> years like totally that's crazy crazy to think about there's going to be an ipod there's going to be an internet there you're going to have taken a break twice you're going to have taken a break twice yeah there's going to be a lot of things that happen in these next 24 years yeah you know it's wild um you also get to speak to the 600 plus show gap and how crazy that distance in and of itself is um Happiness is a Warm Gun off of the White Album is played for the second time ever. Uh, the first time since October 31st, 1994, 658 shows earlier. So the amount of space that's been between 1031-94 and 73-2012 is the distance between the Skin It Back and the Boogie on Reggae Woman bust out which is crazy i hope what i just said make made sense it kind of made sense in my head but like it's just wild to think that like that 600 shows is yeah. halloween 94 at this point in time so 24 years ago right now we're talking 1998 fish and so a song that theoretically was played for the last time in 1998 could be played this tour and have a similar time gap between it. it's just wild yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't be 1400 but, shows it would not be 1,400 shows. It'd be far less. Um, I don't even think it'd be 600 shows. Um, aside from these bust outs, like this first set's really fun. It's it's fine. It doesn't blow me away. What are you guys' thoughts on it? I you know I I really like you know the the few times that they've played Skin It Back in the modern era. I don't know if there's more than two, um, but you know I really love the jams that come out of it. I think it lends itself to a really nice nine minute uh, runtime. You know, the Hampton 2018 one really great. I do want to point out both in this version and the Hampton 2018 one, Trey teases Spanish moon at the beginning. Um, you know, he plays that kind of, bah, 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 um, which is not part of skin it back. The, the songs start in pretty much the same way. They're in the same key, um, which is, you know, we're, we're little feet like, you know, can we write two songs that are basically the same and get away with it? Um, <laughs> and they did. Um, but fish.net, um, that's not noted. Um, and I've been trying for a few years. So if anyone's listening. Ryan has thoughts. They always listen to us, Ryan. So you're, you're in good company. They're listening right now. Good. Um, there have been three skin it backs since this date. Uh, 822, 2012. Mm -hmm. 8 11 2015 
as well as 1021 2018, but still a rarity. It hasn't been played in four years at this point in time. Um, I personally, I mean, I love the happiness is a warm gun. It's top, not my favorite song on the white album, but it's one of my favorite songs. Um, Meg, what are your thoughts on all this? this yeah, I mean, set? I think just to hear those two songs make it a special set. I think the rest yeah. of it, it's fine. Um, I think that the second set is really where the kind of meat is in the show. Well, then let's get into the second set. Why don't you say so? You know, let's please. Um, let's do it. It is where the meat's at. This is like, this to me is there with 628, 615, 71 as like a very fluid, fluid jamming segment here. Um, this is where I think 2012 shines. And I've heard a lot of people mm-hmm. say that this is the best non dicks set of 2012. I don't know if I totally agree with that, but it has, there's an argument to me. It makes still. a case. It makes yeah, a case. Yeah, there's definitely a case for it. I don't, I don't think I agree with that, but I really think there's a case for it. I mean, it has an awesome opening with Chalk Dust and Sand. I think this is another example of where this song really shines on this tour. They have this, like, you can tell they're really listening and responding to each other really well. There's like this amazing Plinko ending spaceship noises it like lands really nicely into golden golden age which just kind of like emerges out of the noise and this is just an awesome golden age it's like exalting and then it becomes like really thoughtful and meandering and trey and Paige are just killing it in this version i love this like funky and weird wolfman's trey's like scatting in it i mean it sounds like they're just having an awesome time and then walk away is just like super spirited i think the first part of this set the first half of the set is third really quarter third quarter yeah Love coming in hot quarter. another good third quarter yeah that's like a theme yeah i i, I think in the sand uh, i think trey is poking fun at everybody that knows that they're playing bust outs and trying to uh you know hit the crazy number of songs because he teases isabella which obviously they yeah. wouldn't play, but I was like, I was like, he's definitely, he's fucking with everyone. Like th- this is, yeah, him being like, ah, like <laughs> you thought it'll have to wait five more years for that to happen. Um, but I, I thought that was an interesting touch. Um, I really like that. The kind of percussive jam they get into in the sand too. And yeah, you mentioned in that golden age, you know, you mentioned earlier that no quarter vibe that comes back again and again, that really happens uh, in this golden age, you know, you have that electric piano, you know, page on the whirly there while Trey is just holding that sustain sounds very classic rock Zeppelin. Um, but I, I really, really liked, uh, what happened there. And then this antelope, uh, also very notable. Um, you know, it's a pretty hot antelope, which was common in this era, but you know, Mike, O, uh, they're having some fun in the funk section as they tend to do. Um, but yeah, it, it's really the, the sand and the golden age to me are the real, real standouts of this set. Yeah. That's the jamming highlight of this set for me, um, entirely. And, and it's so strong and it's so it's, it, there, there's another segment that we're going to talk about here in two shows, just to hint at it for you all. Um, but there's, there's, it, it, it it's it's a jamming segment that goes beyond the times of the jams. Like we're talking basically 23 minutes across two songs. So like 10 to 13 minutes for both songs. Um, but whatever you see on paper is not what you're going to hear. And this is not like super transcendent. Let's go into a different, totally different type of musical idea. This is more 
jamming within these songs and letting them subtly expand. But when you listen closely, there's so much happening from an interband communication standpoint that it will make complete sense when we get to the end of the summer and then we hear the Dick shows. Um, this sand is by no means what it, we're going to get from sand at Dick's, but we are hearing the stepping stones as we talked about in the Deer Creek show. Golden Age, the same way. Um, this antelope just ends the set in such a way that like, it, it reminds me... It reminds me of Dick's night two in the sense that like by the end of that second set, you got this sense that the band could just keep playing and it didn't matter if they played a 25 song set, it would almost be, um, it almost would be worth it because they're just on such a high. Why, why stop now type of thing. And obviously they have curfew. And the set works better when it's a contained idea, but just the way that they're communicating to each other, walking off stage after this antelope, there's still so many ideas left on the table, which is what makes it all the more perplexing that the following show happens. Um, do we have anything else we want to say about seven, three, before I jump into the, um, the quick overview of seven, four, the quick overview of seven, four, <laughs> that's a nice way to put it. I like, yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's a case of, you know, a lot of what we saw for the majority of 3.0, you know, if they, if they have a two night run, you know, mm-hmm. most of the time there's going to be one night that's really, really good. And one night that's not so great, or they're both going to be kind of average. You know, you don't, you don't see a yeah. ton of really consistently amazing multi-night runs, um, you know, obviously outside of like Dick's MSG, um, you know, you have, I think the Worcester 2012 to open the year, um, is a really, really good two night run. Um, but you know, this is not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we were texting before and I didn't even remember that I was at this show, which is, it's, this is the only show I saw in 2012. I was living abroad and I would come home for I'm the sorry. summer. Yeah, I know. And I would come home for the summer and I would see kind of like one show whenever I could. And I took some friends who were not fans and they were really good sports. It was a thousand degrees that day. You know, the show just had weird vibes. The crowd felt a little uninterested. Um, I mean, this first set has 16 songs in it. That's just, it's a lot, you know, there's some big bust outs, but it just, it just did not have a, a flow or a vibe to it. I remember feeling really just disconnected. I mean, the second set has 13 songs. So they were really playing a lot of songs um, I mean, I know they played Sleeping Monkey, which means they're having fun, but um, maybe it didn't mean this in 2012, but it does now. Um, but yeah, I walkout music on 7-4 was Kids in America. Yeah, they were playing really crazy music in between the sets and before and after, like all America themed, but it was it was a weird vibe. So it wasn't, it was not my favorite show. I have very limited memories of even being there, except that I was kind of, it wasn't, it wasn't a vibe for me. Yeah. You know, we've talked a lot about these sets in this tour that are jam packed with songs, 13, 14 songs within them and how, when the right songs are played and when songs that kind of leave you off kilter are kind of thrown out in succession that you end up walking away being like, you know what? 13, 14 songs. I could listen to that again because it feels like a weird shuffled playlist of fish songs. I sometimes want to listen to this. And it's so weird for me to say it because I'm just looking at the notes. 
Head Held High was played for the first time since October 31st, 98. It's second performance ever, last time played. 356 shows. Um, Manuscripting Yesterday, Avenu Malkenu played for the first time since June 21st, 2009. 136 shows. Bittersweet Motel played for the first time since August 2nd, 2009. 132 shows. And Purple Rain played for the first time since the second greatest fish show of all time, July 25th, 1999. Please release this show, Kevin Shapiro. 314 shows. So you get a lot of bust outs and you get a lot of like really rare songs. You open with Alumni, Letter Jimmy Page, Alumni Blues, go to Head Held High, Manuscript Yesterday. That should be a great opener. Like that should be a great opener. You know, that's yeah. how they opened what, 12, 29, 18. It was amazing. Or 12, 30, 18. You know, I mean, that yeah. should be a good opener. And it should, it should lead to a show that like you really feel as a listener is just like, I'm getting everything I want to hear. And the band is like having fun and it's a holiday. And, and if you think about July 4th, like it's a kind of a sneaky big fish holiday. A year prior was the day after the Super Bowl. Uh, festival, which is a huge, huge moment in fish history, especially in 3.0. Two years prior, they play a heavily fan-lauded show on July 4th, 2010. Um, 2000 has an incredible, uh, uh, 99 and 2000 have both have incredible July 4th shows. So it was really like heavily lauded going into that this is, this is, you know, the last show before the final run of the leg at SPAC. We're back on the Northeast after um, uh, traveling around the country at this point in time. And weird instead, you just get very weird routing. Yeah, this tour starts Northeast, ends Northeast, but then goes out to the Midwest and comes back. It's a very strange tour in a lot of cases. Um, but uh, the second set, I think to me, like the first set, take it or leave it, it's the first set. I think to me, it's the second set of we have to play boogie on and then tweezer and then twist and then taste and then Quinn and then Julius. And then, okay, we're going to possibly jam with rock and roll, but now we're back to horse silent. Now we got to go to Harry hood. They have to hear shine a light. They have to hear show of life and they have to hear slave. Like all these songs together. Just take a breath and expand something, man. Yeah. yeah and it's so many of, of the songs that I just absolutely love to hear, but I mean, purple rain all together. Is- row back to the mid nineties, but it just, it just doesn't work. Yeah. So this doesn't work. We can't fix it. We can't go back in time and fix it guys. So we're just going to move on. And um, I'm going to complete the, we're going to go to SPAC. Everything's going to be better. (laughs) Everything's going to be better. Um, I'm going to completely contradict myself here. Okay. You guys ready to watch this happen? Yeah. I like to do this. So this second or this first set has almost as many songs in it as the first set on July 4th. And I think it's an incredible first set. Yeah, but that, you know, the number of songs in the first set, especially in this era, rarely has that much of a bearing on the quality of the set. It's about what songs are played and what they do with them. You know, I'll I'll say this. This Psycho Killer Tube is uh, really, really fun. I think it would sound a lot better if they played it now because the tube would probably have some jamming in it in addition to the Psycho Killer. Um, but yeah, then, then you get another back-to-back uh, play. Of, you know, you get Hold Your Head Up back-to-back shows. Um, you know, I would say they were allowed to. You know, 7-4 doesn't need to count. 
Um, <laughs> um, but th- this hold your head up is fun. You know, they've got the psycho killer uh, quotes in it. You've got more tucking again. Like, you know, the, the, the gags are popping up over and over again. You know, they're sticking with them. They're having so much fun on stage uh, on this tour. I thought it was really cool. And then light up or leave me alone. I love this cover. I believe this is the last time they played it. Um, can they bust it out please? Because this fits their sound so well. I love pages sound. I love, you know, the jam that they get into on it. You know, the jam that they did when they played it at big Cypress, like it's such a great song. And I think it really, really fits uh fish's sound. And I think it's, mm-hmm. it's a little bit of a waste uh, for them, you know, not to play it for 10 years. I'm right I there think, with that. That would right be awesome. I also really want to hear Psycho Killer this summer, so maybe we'll get yeah. that. You're talking once, you're talking twice, you're talking <laughs> thrice. <laughs> I don't know why this is this is probably gonna reveal more than I need to. I get such a kick out of like the band referencing the way that we talk about uh like things associated with fish when Trey calls this like one. I don't know why I'm just like when he, he's just like you've tucked thrice on leg one. And I, and I just get like a kick that they like, they recognize like this is the end of the first leg of the tour. We're going back on tour here and, and, and that's going to be leg two. And it's going to be different. It's going to be different. It's not the same tour guys. It's two separate tours. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I would honestly, I would love to see them, you know, go back to this uh, two leg summer tour model that they haven't done since, 2012 i think it was really cool um you know 2011 2012 especially you get some really different vibes on uh the two different legs um you know i think the 2011 one you know start end of may end with a festival and then you know go out to more of a west coast through dicks um for the second leg i think you know it'd be really cool we kind of had a little bit of a you know they added some shows before dicks last year and this year We've got the run coming up in a few weeks. Um, but I, I think going two full legs, you know, definitely gives you two different uh, looks at the band. Um, I, I just think it's, it's a really great touring model and, you know, spreads the shows out a little bit more. You don't have as long of a break uh, before or after the tour. Mm-hmm. I'm on record, maybe on this podcast, but somewhere else saying that the 2011 touring model is my preferred model of, of touring that, that yeah. Memorial day, 4th of July, labor day, get it all in. It's just, it's, it's amazing. But um, yeah, I would like to see kids camp schedule. So I'm going to say now like, <laughs> camp in you, August, wait, see, end of July, as, somebody, end of August. as somebody who attends camp, I like the 2011 one. Yeah. <laughs> see, it's all about more shows that. before I leave as a parent yeah, who has kids who go to camp, you want the shows to be once they're gone. <laughs> It's perfect. I'm basically going on fish tour. My kids go to camp. It's perfect. So that's a good, you know, that's a good way to do it's it. That's what my yeah. dad has done. <laughs> Your dad's yeah. awesome. Yes. So set two here, and I agree with everything you guys say about set one. It's an awesome set. Set two here. This I have right there with seven three. I have right there with six twenty eight. I have right there with six fifteen with the third quarter of seven one. I love the flow of this set. I love how it's all big songs. I love how even though like Roses and Punch in the Eye in the middle of the second set is kind of weird on paper and kind of weird to the ears, 
it somehow still works because you get that sneak and sally with the reprise jam that goes into a totally different territory, which then goes into ghost, which the ghost finds its way into this like very melodic, beautiful jamming that reminds me of the light from seven one. It reminds me of the waves from six twenty eight. There's just, there's almost not a miss note in this show. Plus there's jamming and explore exploration. Plus you get, psycho killer and crackling rosie both bust outs um psycho killer for the first time since uh, august 14th 2009 127 shows crackling rosie for the first time since december 10th 20, 1999 279 shows those are obviously in the first set but like you get these rarities you get a bunch mm -hmm. of random songs but you also get it all in this classic fish set at spac with some really cool jamming in the second set it just this to me showcases where the band is at at this point in time. And in, in some cases, this may be objectively speaking, the best show of, of the overall tour. Um, I don't know if it's my favorite show, but like this, this feels to me like the peak of the tour, the band never, and we're going to talk about the tour finale. The band never seems to really peak at the tour finale. It always seems to be a couple shows prior. And this to me strikes me as, as the show where it happens. I was just going to say that I, I, you know, I'm saving my uh, favorite show of the tour or what I think is the best show of the tour for the last show. So I'm going to disagree with you there, but I'll save my reasoning for when we get there. Um, this set is great. You know, you have more of that kind of Zeppelin-y jamming mm -hmm. comeback uh, in the Sally, which is a really cool jam, a very rare jammed out version. Um, for those of you who aren't aware uh, of the uh, uh, Bill Graham 2016 version, you should go listen oh my to god. it because it's oh absolutely god. amazing. Um, oh my god! There's also a moment during that Sally where Trey kind of like brute forces a, a change into this like charging riff, which he does a very similar move uh, just before the 20 minute mark of the Baker's Dozen Lawn Boy, pretty much in the same way, which I found really interesting to hear. You know him do that five years previously. Um, great segue into Ghost. Yeah. Going back, I skipped the. Uh, Karini and Sand. The Karini, you know, you get this like heavy vibe immediately. You know, they were playing the song a little bit slower in 2012 than they do now. It doesn't have as much momentum mm -hmm. or push behind it uh, as it does now. So it's got kind of this like heavy dragging vibe, which is not a bad thing. Like it, it, it it's cool. And it dissolves into this mellow and contemplative space like we've seen so many times. And then Sand has this cool start stop jam um, that reminded me of the Halloween 2014 one, uh, which is one of my favorite sands. Mm. Um, so just, you know, really, really cool parallels to draw uh, and things to note in this set. This is my favorite set of this leg of the tour. And I, I think this set is just incredible. I mean, like the end, Choctaw's Torture, how it ends in these like siren sounds that go into Karini. It just, it's kind of indicates this like, creepiness and this kind of intensity that's going to be like kind of go through this whole set. And I love that. Um, I love Blissey Peaks, but I also love when they're really willing to go dark and creepy. And I think this Karini, just like the space sounds and how they're like dragging out the lumpy head. And they're like, like you were saying, Ryan, they're really like breathing into it and giving it space. And there's so much texture and richness and it's really weird. I love that. And I think Paige comes in on the piano, which is like this beautiful contrast to this like really sinister guitar sound that Trey has. It just ends so beautifully. There's a lot of moments in the set, I feel like when Paige brings in the piano and then really it's unexpected and it sounds like so 
it just adds so much texture to it and like, I don't know, richness and, and just, I've already said both of those words, but it really does like elevate the jam in a way that's like super cool. And this sand is awesome. Again, ending in like a trancey, trippy beat that just sets back what a perfect re-entry into the song. Like you hear like the sand riff and the bass line just come back in and it sounds so organic. This is one of my favorite jams of this leg of the run too. The sand is so good. And then this, yeah, Sneak and Sally is like one of my favorite songs to hear. And anytime they're going to have like a super cool funk jam, I'm going to be super happy. And then there's like this rock star ending to it, which I just think is really great. So high energy. And again, this like dramatic ending. I just think they're really playing big in a way that's like really working for them. It's awesome. I also love the ghost jam too. These like rolling waves at the end. I wanted to ask you, Ryan, about what on in Susie, like, what is Paige playing? Is it sounds like some sort of like it almost sounds like the guitar, but I know nothing about keyboards. He he's got some sort of synth guitar sound thing going on. And it sounds incredible, and then he switches to the piano. But I don't know if if you know or if I'm describing that well. But yeah, so he he was taking a lot of the Susie solos in this area on the little fatty. Uh, okay. Mo, that is uh, for those of you who don't know, it's the one on top of the organ. Uh, in this area, that little kind of chunky looking one, hence the name mm -hmm. little fatty. Um, spatty with a fatty with a pH um, for the record. Uh, but yeah, that's good. it's got kind of that it's it's got that sound. He used it um, in a few yems uh, as well, which is a really interesting uh, effect. He actually had a talk box attached to it too for a little while that he didn't really use very often. It's a cool, again, as I mentioned before, it's a really cool and unique sound that comes out of that synthesizer mm -hmm. that I would love to see return uh, to the rig. Yeah, I think he needs another another piece of his rig, right? It's it's yeah. just so small, his rig. It just seems really... He only has nine <laughs> keyboards. Yeah. Like, what is up? <laughs> I also options. love this antelope, too. This peak of this antelope is just, like, insane and... Tom does an amazing job. He just really brings it. He delivers when he's singing this antelope. I think we need to bring Tom back to sing antelope. I think we do too. I think we need to, mm -hmm. I think this might be the last Tom appearance on stage with fish in 3.0. Um, Criminal. I think we might, might need some more of that. Um, we're about to. We're about to. Trey also, I don't know if you guys know this, for one of the only times in fish history, he is wearing a baseball hat during this set, which is just a little strange. It's a backwards green hat. You can hear on the soundboard, if you listen as they're walking up on stage before Chuck does, there's a, um, and then pictures back this up, but there's a fan who just yells out, Trey's wearing a hat! And, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like the, one of those ridiculous, Ryan, like, like the reverse of you. It is. It's, it's like we're seeing me. you without a hat. It's weird <laughs> Trey with yeah. a hat. It's like, whoa, Trey, what's going on here? Um, it Maybe Trey got a bad it, haircut. It always mm. makes me laugh because it's like the kind of stalker element of us as fish fans where we're like, oh, that's different. You are yeah. different today. You did not do what you normally do. Um, <laughs> totally. It's like when my third graders like, come in and like anything's amiss. They're like, why is it this way? What's going on? We need to talk about this. Fish fans are very similar, I guess. <laughs> My daughter like was scared of me yesterday when I came home. Like, like she was like, I was like talking to her and I was like giving her hugs. And I was like, Hey, it's still me. It took her until this morning to recognize that it was actually me. But because of the haircut like, or lack of hat? Yeah, because both, both. It was, it was 
Because she's been like, if I didn't have a hat on, she would like put my hat back on my head. And like I didn't have any of it yesterday, and I didn't have any hair. And she was like, "Who the fuck is this guy?" Like, sounds like my dad. Doesn't look like my dad. Um, it's so, Brian 4.0. So we move into the second night of the three night run. Um, Spack the second three night run of the overall. No, is it second? Yeah, it's second three night run of the overall tour. They're going to have one more three night run of the overall summer, which is a really good three night run. And no, we have two more coming. Sorry, I'm just going to stop talking about what's happening and what's not happening. Uh, we get the second night Live of TV. SPAC. Live TV. Um, this show was broadcast on Sirius which this is like before the point where they were webcasting everything. So like you'd get some shows that would be serious broadcast to like get you to sign up for serious. Now it just like comes in your car. Um, Blister in the sun played for the first time since July 9th, 1998, 390 shows. Um, we get it in the middle of multiple moments in the second set most notably in the Down With Disease. Um, this show to me, it's kind of like the stepchild of the overall run, if, if, I'm, if I could say so. It works. It has the same elements in a lot of cases that make the rest of the run really work. But it's not really a show I return to for a variety of reasons. It kind of flows in a weird way. It doesn't contain the just exactness and perfection of night one nor the experimentation of the second set of night three. Instead, it's kind of just like a Saturday night, really fun show that feels slightly inconsequential. And I think it's okay at this point in the tour. I listened back to it. I really enjoyed the disease blister in the sound down disease. And it's something I didn't appreciate as much in the moment, but like the violent femmes brought fish out on tour with them when they were touring across Europe, they're a legacy alternative rock irreverent countercultural band for the band to kind of take a nod to them at this point in time and bust out their song, but play it again here. It, it feels special, but that's really the only thoughts I have on this. I don't know if there's anything that you guys discovered about this show that makes me think I should go back and re-listen in full. I think you covered it well. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I want to say is that the first set has three of my favorite covers, Torn and Frayed, Cities and Peaches. Anytime I can hear those Good. songs. I mean, those are just, some of my favorite covers. And yeah, I think the Caspian is really pretty. Um, it's really short, but it's really pretty. And I just feel like it's a little bit criminal to play Mike's contact week a pog. I'm just saying. And I think Jonathan Donovan Hart would, would back me up on that one. He would totally back me up on that one. I just. It's a very good jinx. Yeah. Mm -mm. Yeah. No. Let's go to the final night of this tour. I've got a Which... lot about this show. Oh, right. <laughs> good. Well, this one, this one, so somehow this inexplicably uh, made its way onto my iPod uh, in early 2013. So I know this show, or at least parts of this show, um, better than the majority of this leg because I was listening to it when I was 13. Specifically, a couple of things in the first set. You know, there's a lot that I wasn't paying attention to when I was 13 years old, which shame on me. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's a good it's show part of being 13. You were already winning, yeah. Ryan. Come on. You were already winning in a major way. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, this first set, it's good stuff. 
good song selection, good playing. Um, I want to yeah. highlight so that Ryan can't the organ in Party Time. No, please tell us about the organ. <laughs> it's the clav in Party Time. It's the clav, just the clav, for the record. The Normally, Paige takes that first solo on organ. Here, he takes it on clav. It's really, really good. Um, I highly recommend uh, listening to this Party Time. Also, the split open and melt. Um, you know, we we take for granted a little bit how good split open and melt is nowadays. In 2012, Split Open and Melt was not nearly on the level that it is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this version, though, really has a lot going on in it. And, you know, when I was 13, I listened to this version almost every day, I think. You know, I, I really fell in love with the song through this version, which looking back on it, it's like, you know, before I really, e- I, I didn't really even have the patience to listen to a 25 minute jam at this point, but I would listen to this melt and absolutely love what was happening because, you know, it's, it's 11 minutes, but you've got this really, really cool dissonant vibe to it. Tr- really, really strong playing from Trey throughout. It like gets kind of like dissonant spacey in the <clears> middle <throat> and then comes back really, really nicely. Um, you know, Fishman holding down the banana on the symbols for most of it. It's just a really, really compact version that then foreshadows what's going to come uh, out of the song, you know, in the future. I know Brian mentioned the SPAC 2013 version as well, um, but I just, I really love this melt. And then LaGrange bust out, which they should do again, because also a great song. The split up and the melt, I mean, it got me thinking about 2013, not so much because of similarities, just, you know, it, SPAC. It, it always, it, yeah, 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 the, the 2013 uh, SPAC version. Um, it got me thinking about that run in a sense because there's so much that's about to happen to Fish when they're playing this 2012 run. And, and this mm-hmm. tour at this point, I remember this night, I remember listening to a rusty stream, if you will, just like someone's phone and I was like, tuning in and my wife was like can we like go out to dinner or something i was like no no no. this guy's got like a good phone connection tour closer <laughs> it's a tour finale and um wow, we're spoiled like, now and i was just like this was i was like really sad i remember on this night in the sense of this was the most connected fish that we had heard since they came back in 09 like this three-week run here four week run here was the most connected fish that we had heard to that point in time. And you didn't know what was going to happen with a break. You just wanted them to keep playing. And then when you think from this point going forward, you know, the first set, the first second set of the tour opener just over a month later is going to feature a 25 minute jam. That tour is going to end. Sorry. I I didn't know anybody listened to 2012 still, Um, Megan. Um, That ends with an incredible, (laughs) that ends with an incredible, I mean, incredible is an understatement, but like a a turning point run at Dick's. We're going to have this great New Year's Eve run, and then we're going to lead into this 30th anniversary for the band. And when they come back in July of 2013, they're going to open with, you know, the show in Maine, but then these three shows at SPAC, and they're kind of a different band, but they're also like still going through the evolutionary changes that we're still dealing with here today. I don't know, there, there was just so much about listening to this show again and realizing like, 
what a moment in time this was. And in mm-hmm. some senses, it was very sad that this tour was ending. But in another sense, like none of us knew what was to come with Fish. And none of us knew that like we were about to step into another breakthrough period. Um, and listening to split open and melt, like listening to how they approach this in 2012 versus how they would approach this in 2013 versus how they now approach it. Like there's so much growth that's happened with fish. Um, can we talk about the second set? Yes, please. (laughs) Yes. So this light. Yeah, it's pretty good. This second set flows so well. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to compare it to past stuff because there's so much now that's been stacked up, but like this second set, it, all right, fine. I will. It's like 628 in the sense that like, I send you a picture of this set and you're like, that looks really weird. And then awesome. you listen to it and you're like, that is amazing. And there's so many nuggets in here. I'll, I'll just start. The light does something that um, huge shout out to Mr. Dave Calarco, Mr. Minor who uh, wrote extensively about every fish show the day after during this period in fish's history. He noted this. He was, he's totally right. And if you listen to it next side by side, next to this other jam, I'm going to talk about, you're going to be like, Oh my God, they were referencing a brilliant jam. This jam references the sneak and Sally through the alley from August 7th, 2009. One of the best fish jams of the pre fuck your face 3.0 era. One of my favorite jams. That's a, that's a, wait, I've never heard that used as like a, a divider in the era before. That's 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 the dividing line. Oh, sorry, the the pre fuck your face show. I thought you were talking about when they busted it out in twenty. No, no, was, no, no, that was like, that was fun. That's the pre fuck your face show. Never mind. Um, so this this they reference. I don't know. I can't. This can't be conscious. This is more just like it just happenstance. But they they reference the sneak and Sally through the alley from August seventh, two thousand nine, which is one of my favorite shows of all time. Um, I'm just, I'm in love with this light and I've been listening to it over the last like two weeks again in a way that I haven't in years. Uh, But oh my God, just amazing stuff. Let's jump into the set here. I've been talking a lot, Megan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the light's gorgeous. I also love an Axela opener. I I think it should be Axela too, but that's just because I like the lyrics better. But I think Axela is just like an awesome opener. I think it's like such a strong statement and like it's like a Carini or something that just comes out like monster sound in a way that's just exactly what I want. It's like, wake up everybody, we're here to rock. And I think the light's amazing. The twist, trippy, psychedelic. Kill Devil Falls, like who thought that that would work between Twist and My Friend, My Friend? It's very confusing, but somehow it does. It's like still type one, but just like great energy and soloing, like Fishman's killing it. It sounds like he has like three different drum sets going at once. Like I don't know how he makes so many different beats, but he's incredible. The transition into My Friend, My Friend is absolutely incredible. It's similar to how like I was saying earlier how certain songs like Ghost and Back on the Train, Kill Devil Falls and My Friend, My Friend don't sound like they should, would segue well, but they do. And I think that's something that they're kind of stumbling into on this tour that's like really interesting and probably just, yeah, a a product or an end result of them trying all these different songs and playing anything anywhere. So it's kind of fun to hear that. I also really love Swept Away and Steep. I think those are special songs that just hit deep, you know, really, really beautiful I wish the Piper ended in Kung. I feel like that would have just been like 
so great because this piper is just something else. It's the end is super trippy and Trey's like yelling over it. It just sounds so cool. I wish it had ended in income, but that's all I'm going to say. Yeah, I mean, you covered that really, really well. I think Trey is absolutely the MVP of this set. He is just on fire. Every jam, he's just dominating, pushing. Like, his soloing is just incredible. Um, you know, you got a little bit of whale call towards the end of light. Um, Twist, you know, is really short, but has a really cool, you know, micro jam to it. Uh, Trey and Paige both, you know, sticking really in the low end and dropping bomb-like phrases, it almost sounds like. You know, like, not bass bombs, obviously, because they're on clav and guitar. But they're really playing in that lower register and really making it, like, giving it that nasty edge, which is really cool. Um, I thought it was Oya Komova uh, that comes out in Twist, but uh, Fish.net has it no notated as Ingata de Vida, so I guess I need to brush up on my teases and differentiating between songs. <laughs> Um, but yeah, as you mentioned, Kill Level Falls doesn't quite depart the song, but just absolutely relentless jam there. Um, and, and I mean, it does kind of depart a little bit towards the end. It gets into, I was trying to find the right word for it, and I was, I landed on like an almost bluesy-ish kind of vibe, um, just based on kind of how Fishman was leading it. And yeah, that Piper just, no slow build here whatsoever, which is typical for mm -hmm. the era. Um, but they just jump in, you know, flamethrower kind of jam, you know, energy <laughs> at dialed to 11, Trey ripping, um, you know, Paige starts into this euphoric progression on the organ behind Trey's soloing. And then it just uh, just dissolves into this swirling and angry space. You know, they're like yelling into the mics that, you know, they only do when they're getting into this like weird dark space. And then. I really like the segue into free out of that. I think it, it worked really, really well. But yes, I agree with you that I think Kung would have been perfect there. Mm -hmm. I just think free is like a totally different vibe than Piper or Kung. Like the, to me, just like, you know, that's just not where yeah. you are. Like, I don't know. And, and I wonder if, you know, they're playing Kung here. Do Are they already planning the New Year's gag that would happen six months later where they would literally do the runaway golf cart marathon? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Like this, I think that like what we're talking about in terms of like the free here is it's it's just representative of the era where if an idea came to Trey, he went with it. And who knows like what they had planned out from a settler standpoint here, but like Kung could totally come out of free at this point or out of Piper at this point in time. And the bridge, like you know, it's, it's, it's the interesting notion of like, why play the extra song sometimes? Because yeah, we get to hear the song, but like the song kind of brings us back to earth. Whereas like, if you stay a little bit in the outer space, then you play Kung and then it like puts us in this even more disorienting type of space. And that's kind of where the magic happens. I think it ultimately works just because like this set runs in a way that a lot of 2012 sets do that we've talked about where as long as, and it's hard for them to achieve this. And at this point, they're starting to figure it out better than they have at any point in 3.0 to that point is 
we can play a bunch of songs, but they're all going to flow in some, in some way. And there's going to be more improv stuck between songs, even if it's not like a full jam. And so you get it out of this Piper and it's free. It's a little bit more of an extended intro. The free then kind of fades out into Kung. Kung goes into Harry Hood and you hear kind of Kung teases there. Plus Cavern does the same thing into David Bowie. So like, I think in a sense it works, but I agree with you ultimately, like this set, there is an alternate universe where it's like, Axla 2 into Light, into Kill Devil Falls, into Swept Away Steep, Piper, mm. Kung, Hood, and that's probably it. And then Cavern Bowie I mean, is your encore. That's like what Setless Dreams are made of. I think yeah. that's what we would get now, right? Like exactly. now, now they're so comfortable like diving deep into a space like that and exploring it. They're not quickly switching gears or eager to kind of move on. So I think, yeah, we've gotten really spoiled. And, you know, I, I think you mentioned the, the first night of SPAC, uh, you know, in your opinion, being the best of this leg. I think this show has the most compelling improv um, of any of the ones on this leg. You know, the other ones you had one or two jams that kind of got out here. I think this is the the first one that we've heard with multiple uh, jams with at least this number of multiple uh, with really high quality improv happening. Um and yeah, I, I think just this set works really, really well. I didn't mention before, Megan, I totally agree with you. I love Swept Away Steep as a mid-second mm-hmm. set. Cool down. Um, you know, if only every version was like the Baker's Dozen one. Um, <laughs> but I don't think we could handle that kind of power. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's just, it's a really, really fantastic way to close out the leg, I think. Well, before and, and we yeah, close up. Also a yam. Well. I was going to say, before we close out the, 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 the leg, we have to talk quickly about the M. And the M, the version-wise, it's, it's, it's fine. It's, it's an it's encore M. M. It's, it's cool. But I wanted to notate, and this was something that didn't strike me until I was looking back at this. So <clears throat> between March 6, 2009 and um, early June 2011, so basically two and, a half, two, two and change years, but you know, a lot of fish shows in early 3.0, Yem was on a five show rotation, four to five show rotation. Very, very tight. There were a lot of moments where they would play Yem to close out the Friday night second set, as well as the Sunday night second set of a tour because they, uh, you know, be, of, of a run because they not like a three night run, but like they'd play one right. venue <laughs> on a Friday, one venue on a Sunday type of thing because it was so sentimental to them. It was such a meaningful mm-hmm. song. And Trey famously said, like, you know, he, would do whatever to play Yem every single day. I believe he said he would give his left nut to play Yem That's five it. times a Thank day you. for the rest of his life or something. Yeah. Which he he nearly did the latter part of that. We were hearing a lot of You Enjoy Myself. Um, starting in 2000, 2011, it starts to expand out of the rotation. You get an eight-show gap between 6.5.11 and 6.17.11, and then a 10-show gap between 6.17.11 and 8.10.11. But it really starts to happen here. We get it on 12-29-2011. Then there's a 12-show gap, 6-23-2012. It doesn't show up until midway through the first leg of Summer Tour. From there, it's not played again until this moment, 7-8-2012, a 10-show gap. From here, it's going to start to expand outwards of the rotation. We're going to hear it less and less. It's not going to be the reference point that they need to make to kick off and, or to celebrate every single run that they have. But there is a there's a significant moment of them choosing to play Yem in this slot here. And it's something that 
was very touching in the moment. It really showcased like, hey, we cared a lot about this tour, but also we recognized like we played a lot of different songs and there's a lot of songs that we didn't play as much as we have in the past. Just know we love those songs and Yem is the song that we love more than any of those. So I, I, I found that to be really notable, just you know, going back and remembering that because that that ended up being just like a topic of chatter coming off of uh, the overall run and the overall tour. Um, I think that that does it pretty much. I think we did a good job. So, yeah, so that was we're under that was two good. hours. That's pretty good. We, yeah, we, I'm we proud of us. <laughs> we did a good job going through this tour. So, um, before we break, we will be. So Ryan's going to be back with us in just over, I'm just looking at our calendar now, just over a month where we are going to talk about the August 2012 shows, uh, just shy of Dick. So we're going to go Long Beach all the way up to the Oklahoma City show that some people say may or may not have happened. Um, Really quick question for you guys before we go there. Where are we at at the end of leg one and what are your thoughts going into leg two? I mean, I think that they're really feeling more confident now. I think, you know, thinking about where they came from in the end of 2011, where, you know, they didn't have a great, they had no fall tour, not a great New Year's run. And then they came back, I think, really looking for ways to reinvent themselves and get back to the things that make them great as a band. And I think this was a really good exercise for them. And I think they are in a really good place with starting to really listen to each other again and and take risks. Yeah, and and I think all those risks are really going to pay off in August. You know, I think this tour was really like a let's try to shift things into place. Um, so in August, you know, it's kind of like and now everything's working because you know you don't see a single song over twenty minutes, excluding yeah, uh, on this leg. I believe like year to date, I don't think there was one on the first leg either. Um, or the first section of the first leg. We're confusing ourselves by splitting them into multiple episodes. <laughs> um, but then you see, you know, again, as you mentioned, a 25-minute rock and roll in the first, second set of the second leg. So they're immediately coming back in August, and they're like, we're going to drop the hammer. You know, we're here. You know, this stuff is starting to pay off. And I, I don't want to get too into that because I'm very excited to talk about it in in, uh, in June. But yeah, this this was really... You know, they're starting to take steps forward, um, you know, expanding more on the storage jam themes from the year before uh, a little bit. Those are still sticking around um, and they're starting to get more comfortable, you know, in shows again after, you know, a kind of lackluster end to 2011 that will then continue on into the the years following. But it, it, it's cool to hear. Agree with both of you. There's a lot of foundation that has been set. There's a renewed energy and a renewed sense of creativity that has come out of the 2012 first leg here in a way that we did not feel towards the end of 2011. So I am very excited to dive into uh, August 2012. Ryan, thank you as always for hanging with us here. We will see you in a couple of weeks. All right. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. We love having you. All right. And we will be back on Monday. We are bringing Ryan on from Trey's Guitar Rig. Uh, We are going to be talking through the ever-changing guitar tones and guitar setup from Mr. Trey Anastasio. And I'm really excited to dive into how his rig has changed since 
to uh, 2021 and how that's impacted jamming from uh, the Mexico MSG and now potentially the first leg of summer tour standpoint. So we'll see you back here on Monday, May 16th at 4.30 p.m. Eastern. Before we go, we want to tell you really quickly, once again, about Sunset Lake CBD. Meg, do you want to handle this? Absolutely. Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located just outside of Burlington, Vermont. For years, they were a dairy farm producing milk for Ben & Jerry's ice cream. And in 2019, they diversified and started growing hemp for CBD. Sunset Lake CBD embraces Vermont's tradition for land stewardship by using sustainable and regenerative farming techniques. They build and protect healthy soils. They're 100% pesticide-free. They use minimal tillage and implement cover crops and crop rotations. They also serve as a research farm for the University of Vermont agronomists to study hemp and inform best industry practices. And I have some breaking news about Sunset Lake CBD. I saw that they now have sleep gummies coming out. What? This is huge. This is huge. huge. It's huge. I've been using their gummies for sleep. They've been amazing. Clearly they've like made a product that's even more excellent for sleep. So I'm really excited to check that out. You can also check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the coupon code HFPOD for 20% off all your products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer owned, Vermont grown. We are also sponsored by Casher Trade, which we want to inform you to utilize as you are purchasing tickets for this upcoming summer tour. It's the only secondary ticketing marketplace where fans buy, sell, and trade tickets at face value. Fans are able to DM each other before, during, and after transactions. You can rate and review each other when a transaction is completed. No added fees are applied to selling your tickets. All sales are fully protected by Cash or Trade's trader protection policy, which guarantees your money back. Users can avoid purchase fees with a gold membership subscription. Visit cashortrade.org to learn more and use their service. And with that, I will bid you adieu, Meg. Have a wonderful weekend, and we'll see you back here, everyone, on Monday to talk with Ryan from Trey's Guitar Rig. Take care. It's going to be awesome. Bye, Brian. Bye, everyone. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media 
source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Hi, this is Paul Phelps. And this is Monica Strutt. And we're from the Daily Music Business Podcast. We're joined by a number of other really great hosts in creating daily content with great advice for independent musicians just like you. That's right. We put out episodes daily on all topics from music marketing to branding, advice on signing with a manager and label and anything else you need to up-level the business side of your music career. We've got it covered. Subscribe to the Daily Music Business Podcast today on your favorite podcast catcher. Subscribe today to the Daily Music Business Podcast on your favorite podcast platform.